HVAC 360, episode number 47, Document Management and Discovery. Hey, welcome back, everybody, to another episode of HVAC 360. I'm your neighborhood host, Matt Nelson. Glad to have you here. Today we're going to be talking uh, a little bit about litigation, uh, something that's uh, a subject that makes everybody kind of uncomfortable and uneasy, uh, but it's something that definitely, if you plan for it, I think that it works out a lot better and there's a lot less stress involved. I think it's, a, it's, it's one of those cases where if you ignore what's going to happen, uh, then, you know, and just assume that it's never going to happen to you, then you're just asking for it, essentially. So this week I'm going to be talking with Chris McDonald, who is um, who works for uh, Shook, Hardy, and Bacon. They're actually a law firm in Kansas City, Missouri. Um, so we're going to talk uh, talk about talk to Chris about this subject and uh, learn a whole like whole heck of a lot more than we do now. So hope you enjoy the episode. So here we go with Chris. Let's cut to the tape. All right, today we're going to be talking uh, with Chris McDonald. How are you doing today, Chris? I'm doing well. So I- explain, you know, who do you work for? What, what do you do? What, what's your background in some of this document management and discovery? Yeah, well, I am an attorney at the law firm of Shook, Hardy & Bacon. Our headquarters are in Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, we're a firm of about 500 lawyers with offices in a number of cities, Uh throughout the country and actually uh, offices in London and Geneva as well. Um, My background is I'm primarily a a kind of a combination lawyer. I do a lot of environmental uh, toxic tort um, litigation, but also kind of in the regulatory side of things and a lot of consulting and counseling. Um, And uh, with respect to the topic we're talking about today, I am an ASHRAE member um, an associate ASHRAE member and been involved for a long time. And a, a part of my interest in ASHRAE and how I got involved was uh, addressing indoor air quality issues. And, and that kind of morphed into uh, mold issues. And, and there was a lot of concern and interest about mold and litigation surrounding mold and counseling surrounding mold. Um, so that got me interested in ASHRAE because it was uh, important to a number of ASHRAE members. Um, with respect to ASHRAE, uh, I have uh, been involved for a number of years. I served on their uh, ad hoc Homeland Security uh, Committee at one point in time. Uh, I served on and actually chaired at one point their TC 1.7, which was their le- Legal Education and Business Management Committee, um, to try and provide uh, good legal education and understanding to ASHRAE members. And then as part of that, I've been a ASHRAE Distinguished Lecturer uh, for a number of years as well. Um, so my and, my and my my interest on this topic is in, in the litigation context. Um, we often get into discovery disputes and discovery in general in litigation, which leads to collection and looking for documents, both hard documents and electronic documents. Um, and then how that's gathered, how that's used, and what the impact can be uh, in a litigation context 
from the, the documents that are uh, ultimately produced. Okay, excellent, excellent. And uh, before we get started, obviously, as you as you as you're a lawyer, I think we should say that this is uh, your this is not constitute official legal advice. This is just morally more for the uh, uh, education of our listeners. Should you need uh, a specific legal advice, please contact a lawyer in uh, area for specific advice. And that's exactly what I start most of my uh, lectures with. <laughs> All right, so talking about this education topic. Now, document management, how would you describe document management to building professionals? Well, I kind of describe it a couple of different ways because I think there's a couple of different aspects to it. Um, I I really think of it as kind of your your plan and approach to preparing, retaining, and being able to retrieve documents and, and key documents. So... I think a number of things are important, uh, and this is not just a legal issue. It's probably a business issue as well, too, in the the age that we live in where there's just so much more information than there used to be and so much electronic information. Uh, being able to get a handle on where that information is, how it's stored, how you retrieve it, um, how in a litigation context, uh, you need to go about finding it because that can be a fairly expensive proposition if there hasn't been some planning ahead of time. And then the other part of it that I think is important is the creation of documents. So maybe it's as important as anything. Um, thinking about what documents you need for a project, what documents should be created for a project, what should be in the file for a project, what demonstrates that you are doing things the right way. Um, and then also, just how you create the documents. We find more and more in litigation, and I don't, uh, I don't think it's uh, any different than it used to be. It's just there's a lot more opportunity to generate information. But there are a lot of documents that are created um, where the person who created the document wasn't really thinking about um, litigation implications later on. Sometimes they were thinking about, you know, trying to say something funny to a coworker but it's about a project and it gets in the file and it comes across the wrong way. A lot of this is unintentional, but a poorly created document that really isn't intended to say what it says in a litigation context when it gets pulled out and blown up in front of a jury can be very, very damaging to companies. And so that's why I think the creation of documents is also an important part of overall document management. So we're not just talking about uh, you know, uh, drawings and specifications. Um, we're also including uh, you know, all sort of communications, whether they be meeting notes or whether they just be a, a quick email to somebody, right? Uh, yeah, that, and I think that's right. Um, I think a lot of times, especially in this day and age, emails are the way people talk anymore. Uh, it used to be that you would pick up the phone or walk down to somebody's office and you would have a conversation and none of that got recorded. Uh, In this day and age, a lot of those phone calls have been replaced with emails. And if there are emails about a project and they end up in a project file, or even if they don't end up in the project file but they're around if litigation comes up and they're gathered, all of that can be important from from a litigation perspective. Now, I mean, I, when you talk about document management, I mean, does it does it matter who you know, you know who the who the 
the the company is, whether it be a firm that's a has a full, you know full of uh, engineers, architect engineers, or contractors, does that really play into anything? Uh, or sub consultants? Does, does any does you know what what sort of differences are there? You know, I I think the principles are probably all the. Documents are the most important for that type of work. Um, what documents should be in a file when you're doing a project, and if somebody has questions afterwards, you know what what kind of was the standard for the industry as far as making sure that you've you've got the documents that should be there for a project. So I think from that context, depending on you know what your job is and what your role is. Uh, that is different, but I think the principles as far as uh, document creation and trying to make sure that you've got uh, the right documents and you've kept the right documents, uh, I think those principles are probably the same uh, regardless of whether you're an engineer or a contractor or a consultant. Okay. So I guess let's let's just jump to the uh, the document discovery phase. So you know, I'm assuming that you know you you, you know you've you've had um, you know an event occur. What what exactly from the legal perspective? What what sort of you know what's the trigger here? I mean, what's you know what 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 should somebody expect to be the process? Yeah, and 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 what I'm going to kind of use there is kind of a, a litigation trigger. Um, there are probably a number of other just uh, document management and how you go about your business triggers, but for for the purposes of this, I think litigation is probably the right perspective. Um, so a litigation trigger could be either the filing of a lawsuit, or it becomes very clear uh, through through writing or or otherwise that um, a lawsuit is being threatened. Um, and you are sufficiently on notice that that's going to happen, that from a document management um, preservation perspective, you ought to be thinking about taking steps. Because under the law, and again, it varies the jurisdiction to jurisdiction, but if a lawsuit's been filed, um, you typically have some obligations to preserve documents that are relevant or related to the issues that will come up in that lawsuit. Um, so that is typically the triggering event, the, the filing of a lawsuit or that it's imminent and you know it's imminent so that you need to be preserving uh, any documents that w- would be related to the issues that will come up in that lawsuit. Now, if the, obviously, if it's, if it, you know... <laughs> You know, I say this in jest, but I mean, obviously, it's a very serious thing. But I mean, if 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 you know that there's going to be a a, a lawsuit, your first reaction is not to to grab the shredder and and just start shredding things. Obviously, that's going to have some some very negative implications in in whatever case is is going to happen. Yeah, I, under the law, um, and it, obviously, and you know, I'm a lawyer, so I caveat a lot of these things. Depends on the circumstances, but. Uh, there have been a lot of uh, sanctions provided in a circumstance where somebody knows there's a lawsuit, the obligation to preserve has been triggered, and they do things to try to destroy documents. Um, and oftentimes that can that can be much worse consequence than having a not that great document come out in the first place. So there can be significant implications for trying to do what you 
uh, what you just talked about. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I guess if, if you know when you when when the the litigation trigger occurs, um, this is something that most companies handle internally. Do they ever get uh, you know third parties involved to to kind of comb through them, or maybe you know do they get you know I guess third party might be a you know their uh, their legal team uh, to help them you know uh, make sure that they get all the proper documentation. Yeah, I mean that that's kind of what I think probably would be the 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 third party that jumps out at me uh the quickest probably because I am a lawyer. Once the litigation is filed, you t- you typically get outside counsel that will get involved in the lawsuit. Um and so that would be an outside party, third party that would work with the company and oftentimes with the in-house lawyers to evaluate, understand what documentation is out there that would be relevant to the case so that can be gathered, that can be searched, and then that can be produced in the litigation. In addition to the lawyers, and and some of this depends a little bit on the size of the litigation, the scope of the issues involved, the size of the company, and those kinds of things, there can be other outside um, third parties that get involved. Um, if, if it's big and there's a lot of documents and there's a lot of electronic information, there oftentimes can be outside vendors where um, once the information is gathered, it gets stored with one of these vendors so it can be searched and reviewed and then produced. Um, sometimes there can be uh, experts with respect to computer systems and gathering information from computer systems where if a, a company does not have that kind of internal expertise in their IT department, uh, they may go outside and, and oftentimes it's working with counsel to, to find some vendors that can help them uh, conduct searches and come up with search strategies and ways to gather and, and access information uh, that needs to be gathered for the litigation. Now, I, I guess you know the the question that comes to my mind is is <laughs> what what process? I mean, do you, once you submit this to uh, you know a, a litigation, um, do you ever see these files again? I mean, to, should should they you know is it typical that that you're going to make copies of whatever you 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 give uh, uh, the attorney, or you know, are you making duplicates like one for for you know the defense, one for the uh, uh, you know the the other side, and, and one for uh, um, you know your records? Uh, yeah, how is that handled? Yeah, it, I, I think especially what what we've done, it's typical, if not universal, that copies will be made and that um, the the originals uh, are typically not provided to um, the opposing parties, if you will, or other parties in the case. Originals sometimes will come to your law firm. Uh, to gather and look through to, to begin with, but then those would be returned to you uh, and co- either copies made uh, and returned to you or you'll know exactly where they are as your counsel will have them and be able to get them back to you. Um, there are instances, and it's kind of a, a range of, of uh, options with respect to production in these kinds of cases. Sometimes copies of paper are made and produced. Sometimes um, electronic information is gathered 
Uh, it's put into uh, either disk format or an outside vendor gathers the information and it's looked at and reviewed and then uh, also produced electronically. Sometimes in some of these cases, it's a make available sort of situation where, you know, you've got your boxes of documents that relate to the case or the matter that, that's at issue in the case, and you, you get the boxes and you put them aside somewhere in a room, either in your building or you give them to counsel, and they're made available to the opposing party where they can come in and look through those documents and identify those documents they want to have copies made of, and then they get the copies. But, but original documents, um, in my experience, are rarely, if ever, given to the opposing party. So um, the company or client will always retain control of those documents they may be housed at the, the law firm for a period of time, um, and if, if the client needs those documents to keep going, then just copies will be made of those documents, and, and they'll stay uh, with the client. Okay. So, I mean, as far as, as, far as relevance goes, I mean, something, that's something that really is going to pe- depend on uh, you know, your legal counsel to be able to determine exactly what's relevant and what should be. You know, that's what you're going to rely on their, their legal expertise for, correct? That's right. I mean, relevancy is typically determined by what are the issues in the case. Um, and, and so you know kind of based on the complaint what is important for the case. And then often through uh, the, the legal discovery process, um, there's an opportunity for parties to submit questions, which can be in the form of interrogatories, to ask about certain topics or certain documents and where they are and get copies of those documents. There's also the opportunity to submit what are called requests for production of documents where you specifically request certain kinds of documents relating to certain topics. And those can are the guide as far as what documents need to be gathered to respond to those kinds of discovery requests and to respond to the issues in the lawsuit. And then uh, my experience is there's often a, a good uh, back and forth between counsel and client to help determine what documents are relevant based on the case and based on the requests that have been made. Now, as far as, as, as the, uh, you know, the, the difference between electronic versus you know, hard copy, is, is there really any difference nowadays um, you know, I know that there. I think that when it was started, emails were kind of suspect, or you know, what? How would you? How would you? How is the law describe or differentiate between the two? Is there any any differentiation? Yeah, I mean, I don't think. I think in principle, and, and particularly from the angle that we're coming from, which is the the litigation side of things, I think in general they are are treated the same way as far as documents that should be retrieved and recovered that uh, could be relevant to litigation. Um, With electronic information, though, uh, it's a little bit more challenging as far as being able to gather and find the documents that um, are on point, that are related to the litigation. You know, the, the paper document and the old file systems that we used to have and always had, you kind of knew, had a better idea of where to go to find those documents that related to that particular file. With the advent of um, electronic information, um, it's a little bit harder because there's so much generated and a lot of emails that don't just, 
You know, they don't just go into a file. Um, so it can be more difficult and more challenging to find those. Um, there are a number of lawyers that um, really focus and spend a lot of their time and their practice on these kind of document issues and particularly the electronic document issues and how you go about gathering them and the best practices for gathering them and what's reasonable with, with respect to gathering them because electronic discovery can be quite expensive um, if it's not refined um, in a manner that makes it an effective ability to search and gather information and, and not shut systems down because of the complexity of the searches or where folks have to go to search all that information. So it really is an emerging uh, area of, of the law and how to come up with the best practices and reasonable practices to gather the information that is most useful uh, without shutting companies down from either the time burden and how hard it is to gather it uh, and the impact on systems or the cost of trying to gather that information. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and the cost really is, you know, say, say for instance, you're the one being, uh, you know, being sued, so to speak. Um, you're the one actually bearing those costs of electronic discovery, right? I mean, it's up to you to, to provide all the documentation. Uh, that, is, that is typically what happens. Um, but there is a lot of, uh, Evolution, if you will, or a different circumstances, depending on, on what's going on, where you might be able to determine whose burden that really should be, uh, depending on how reasonable the search is, what's required, what might be found based on that search that, say, an adversary is saying, do a really large, broad search. Um, you, uh, you know, lawyer and client is saying, we don't need to do that. This narrow search will get us all the information and is a lot more cost effective. Um, there can be some, uh, some ability to, if the expensive search is what is forced to be done, try and shift the cost burden to the other party in those kinds of circumstances. So generally the answer is yes, it's, it's the client's burden. But there's a lot of uh, circumstances or variability depending on those circumstances where that might be able to be changed. Okay. So, I mean, when you talk about the, the you know the document discovery, what what sort of rights do, do companies have? I mean, is 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 there any sort of you know protection or you know je just general rules of thumb that people could kind of you know think about? You know. Um, just overall, in the context of litigation, both of the parties will have rights as far as um, what is reasonable, what is relevant, what should be produced, uh, what is overbroad, what is overburdensome, and kind of the, the case law and principles that have been developed through that to try and make it a, uh, a reasonable approach for both parties and the rights of both parties when you get into litigation. So that's kind of the, the general approach. Um, and then there's also a number of, oh, if you will, exceptions or other ways that um, you can limit what has to be produced. One example of that would be uh, attorney-client privilege communications are typically uh, not subject to discovery. 
So communications that you have with your lawyer, uh, either as part of the project originally or once the litigation is filed or otherwise lawyer-client uh, counseling um, that are might be documents that could potentially be relevant to the litigation, those sorts of communications are typically uh, protected um, so that they wouldn't be produced to the other party. Now, one of the things that has to be kept in mind in that regard um, is that's why searching through documents before they're pr produced to the other party can be important because um, oftentimes the general rules, if you produce attorney-client related communications, you may waive that privilege. Um, so that's one of the other things that you have to keep in mind when you get involved in litigation to make sure that you're not um, unintentionally uh, producing documents that otherwise might be protected. Otherwise, you may waive that protection. Now, I, I got to ask this question because we're you know we're talking about electronic documents, and you know I I see this you know multiple times a day. You know, where an email will come in and in the signature file that kind of appends the email, they'll say this this is, you know, confidential information. You should destroy it and, you know, is, you know scrub your computer down whenever you're, you know, if the, you're not the intended recipient. Well, how does the how does the law kind of see, you know, those type of situations? You know, um, that's, that's a pretty good question, and I think it's probably still an evolving area. I think those protections and those kinds of things that you put on them are useful, but a lot of times not determinative. If you send a document that you shouldn't send outside into somebody else um, and they use it improperly, that uh, sometimes there's not a darn thing that you can do about it. And, and that is one of the things about document creation, if you will, that you really need to be careful about, especially in this day and age where documents, um, you, know, you know, a lot of times the emails, you automatically populate the, the, who, the, who you're sending it to field based on a couple of letters. And if you're not careful and send it to the wrong person, um, it can be potentially damaging. I'm, I'm aware of situations like that where um, things went to the wrong people. Sometimes they've gone to, you know, legal documents have gone to the press and they've been disclosed and it was purely an accident, but um, it can have fairly significant implications. Eek. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so <clears throat> I guess... You know, when you talk about, you know, the length of events here, I mean, obviously it, you know, it could go on for years. But typically, I mean, when, when people are involved in these things, is there any sort of average, you know, lifespan of, of litigation events that you see? You know, there, there probably is. Um, but I haven't done anything systematic to, to see that. Mm -hmm. The kinds of cases that I've been involved in, though, they are typically multi-year affairs. Um, the, a lot of the litigation I've been involved in can be two, three, four, five years. I've been involved in some big cases that went on 15 and 20 years. Um, so it, it depends a lot on kind of the scope of the litigation, um, the size of the issue, the size of the litigation. 
you know, if, if it's one or two parties and it's um, fairly limited with respect to the, 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 the issue or the scope of the money that's at issue, you know, that can be a one- to two-year process. But uh, a lot of the bigger litigation can be uh, a multi-year process. Now, you're not always in discovery throughout that process um, in that you, you get ready and you go to trial. But even then, there's always um, obligation to supplement and um, if you find additional documents or additional materials, then you're obligated to supplement that throughout the litigation. So it can be a very time-consuming and lengthy process. Mm -hmm, I bet. So what are some of the best practices you really recommend to your clients when dealing with, you know, document management? Yeah, um, and I think there's a number of different aspects to this. And, I, again, I, my typical focus is kind of on the litigation side of things. So sometimes it's coming in after the fact uh, rather than, than being, you know, proactive and providing counseling and, and guidance to folks from a document management perspective on the front end. Mm -hmm. Some of what I see, though, and, and there are probably folks that, that do spend more time in really helping, I know there are, in helping on the, the front, front end side, companies come up with effective document management practices that, uh, we'll come up with documents that you need to keep and, doc and, and documents on how long you need to keep them. Mm -hmm. I think the typical um, rule is you need, you need to be reasonable in what you do, and oftentimes it'll, it'll depend on the particular circumstances of, of the business and what's created and what's generated and, and how long they want to have their documents there to, from a protective point of view if something goes wrong with a project later on. I think the rule of thumb is that doc, uh, that companies should think about this and and engage someone to help them create a document management system that makes sense for their business. Make sure that they're keeping documents they should keep. Uh, go through some of their own files and say, okay, if we got in litigation, what's here that you think, oh my gosh, how did that get here? And why is it here? What isn't there that ought to be there? And I think companies can do a good job working with counsel to come up with some good practices in that regard. Okay. Depending on the company, there's a lot of regulations that may apply to certain types of documents and, and legal requirements that you keep certain kinds of documents for a certain period of time. Um, and it would be good to obviously account for those in any kind of a, a document uh, management program or practice. Um, so there's some guidance. Uh, on the other side, um, and, and it's something that I, I have tried to focus on because I think this is, this is something that, that everybody can, can understand, whether it's you know, someone creating a company-wide document you know, retention and, and management plan or just everybody who's going about their day-to-day -day work in trying to make sure that they're doing their job and doing their job well. And it's what you do and what you create when you are making documents and being careful about what you do when you are creating documents. And I got a couple of, again, rules of thumb that uh, I like to talk about when I give presentations on this. One would be what I call the, the New York Times test. Um, and what that means is if you've drafted an email and you're about ready to hit that send button, 
look at that email and say, okay, how would I feel if this email ends up on the front page of the New York Times and you know, my boss gets to look at it and my parents get to look at it and my kids get to look at it, um, how would you feel about that? And if you're not very comfortable with that, then you might rethink before you hit that send button. Um, is there a different way to write that? Do you need to write that? Would it be better if you pick up the phone or walk down the hallway and talk it through with somebody? Um, I think that, that's one principle that I think is really important in how you, how you create documents. And then there's another rule that, that I've come up with, or I, actually I didn't come up with it, I've just seen it and it, it really makes sense to me, and it's, it's kind of the staple rule. Um, and, and what that stands for is S means stick to the facts and don't speculate. And in what I've seen um, in cases, a lot of documents that get companies into trouble are documents created by somebody who really was um, addressing issues outside of their scope. It wasn't really important to them. They really didn't have the uh, either the basis or the duty to address it. They're just commenting on something that they either don't know about or aren't qualified to talk about. But once they say it in the eyes of a jury, if produced later, it becomes the company's position. Um, the T in staple is take it seriously. Avoid angry, thoughtless statements. Those can be some of the most damaging things that come up in a litigation context where it's not really even about the project. It's about what becomes the adversary and being confrontational and trying to be funny and being careless with coworkers or otherwise, um, but it, it's deemed as being not respectful to the adversary later on and can be very damaging in a litigation context. Um, the A in staple, avoid inflammatory language, similar to, to uh, the, the one we just talked about. The P in staple, privileged and proprietary information. Um, you need to be careful about it. You need to handle it with care. You need to think about it before you hit the send button. Make sure it's going to the right people. Um, uh, the L in staple loops close them, and, and I guess what what we mean by that, in, in thinking about that, are you know if you're in an email chain, and maybe you're the supervisor in that email chain, and some of the careless, not well thought out. Uh, speculative emails start bouncing around and you know they're not right and you know they shouldn't continue and somebody is speaking about something they're really not qualified to speak about, close that loop and shut it down. Um, talk about from a knowledge base, hey, that's not right, that's not accurate, um, this is what's going on and uh, let's have a phone call as a team to talk about this any further before we keep, you know, circulating this email that doesn't make sense. And from a litigation context, if you can do that um, and it's contemporaneous to the time that that exchange was going on and you get caught in litigation and it comes up, it's really, it's really good in the jury's eyes to see that the company and somebody in, in position to do something caught that and caught it early and acknowledge that it wasn't right and it wasn't uh, accurate and that can be really helpful to just kind of to, to nip that in the bud when you see it 
and and avoid that kind of an exchange escalating and never being uh, really accounted for accurately the way it should be. And then finally, the last one is the EEF staple, um, email, think before you send. And I think that's really, really important in this day and age, as we talked earlier, where a lot of communication is done by text and email. Um, and it will become more so, I think, as um, you know, the younger generations become uh, more integrated into the workplace. Uh, that's, th those generations are, it, it's second nature to them. That's the way they communicate. Um, it's really the way a lot of us communicate anymore, um, but it adds a lot of information to the process, and it's documented and it's recorded instead of phone calls, and it's where careless, inaccurate statements can get captured, caught, and end up in litigation and become very damaging. So that's a long, uh, long answer to a short question, but... <laughs> There you go. No, I mean that that that's excellent, you know, and I can't you know, I, the number of you know, you, you see the the newer generations, the younger people kind of growing up in our business and 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 yeah, it's really, you know, I guess people in in general are lazy and they kind of result to what they're most familiar with and and, and what they they kind of have relied on day to day and when you rely on email and texts and things like that. I mean, I, you know, obviously we didn't even touch necessarily on text per se, but I'm, I'm sure that, that in, in some litigation, you know, uh, circles that, that even that is, is kind of, you know, you know, being, you know, or even, you know, you, you go to, you know, tweets or, you know, anything like that could, could be, uh, you know, brought into a, a, a litigation situation. But, you know, the, the fact of the matter is, is that if you want to be a differentiator, um, in, in what you do and, and kind of improve your product, realize that communication and the way that you communicate, um, you know, taking that step to, to make a phone call and make that connection rather than just kind of, you know, shooting out an email and, and just kind of, you know, being careless about it is, uh, you know, is really, really, really critical. And if you want a, a you know, a career that's really, uh, um, you know, provides some longevity, you got to make sure that you're doing the right things and not just the things that you're most comfortable with. Yeah, and 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 one of the things, I mean, you said something about um, you know the way we communicate, and and a lot of it is, and and people being comfortable with it. And I think the next generation is more comfortable with with texting with emails. But I think it's it's important to keep in mind that. I mean, there's reasons why this kind of technology has, has caught on and taken hold. Um, and in in some respects, in a lot of respects, it can be a more efficient way to accomplish things and keep things moving and get things done. So it, it's not that you can stop, I think, the, the, the way business is done anymore. And, and that's not a part of what I'm trying to say. I'm just – what I'm trying to say, though, is – um, in that context, people need to just think about it and be careful about what they put into those messages and think about what they're writing and think about what they're saying. And in certain circumstances, um, that might not be the best way to communicate a, a topic or a sensitive issue or something you're not really sure about. Um, and, and so it's, it's really just stepping back in some of those instances 
and and using that tool uh, a little more thoughtfully than than stopping it because it won't be stopped. It can't be stopped. Uh, I think everybody understands that's uh, a way of doing business now. But it's just being a little bit more cautious because things that used to be done in conversation are now captured in emails, and you need to sometimes think about maybe that's not the way I want to communicate that thought, or I'll communicate the business part of this this way, and the the funny, the offhand, the um, something that's better left said rather than written. I'll make a phone call and have a laugh. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Agreed. So I, I guess, uh, you know, one, uh, you know, kind of, kind of, kind of changing gears a little bit, but, uh, you know, when you're talking about best practices, when you talk about what, what happens when you're kind of, uh, you know, one of the, one of the firms that might be caught in the crossfire, like you're not directly related to the litigation, but you you know, you could be, you know, pulled in at any point. If you're a subcontractor to somebody who gets sued, you know, what, what's, what's your stance? I mean, what, what can you, you know, I, I guess, what do you, what are those type of people, what do those type of firms need to keep in mind, uh, you know, when litigation occurs? Yeah, I mean, I, I think actually the principles are probably the same because one, you never know when you might be the target instead of just on the, the edge of litigation. And two, as litigation unfolds, you don't know when uh, the target might shift and something that you did might become the target. And three, um, in a litigation context, if somebody's not a party to the litigation, but they have relevant information to the litigation, um, they often can be subpoenaed to provide the documents, um, you know, similar to the, the underlying party, the, the party that's been sued, as far as needing to produce and provide the documents that are related to the particular um, issue that they were involved in. So in the same context, these issues about searching and identifying and and finding the documents may very well apply to them. So some of the things that you might do from a document management side to to try and make sure that you know all the documents that are part of a project end up in a file so that when the litigation happens you just have to go to the file instead of searching a whole bunch of servers for things um, you know the more you can do of those kinds of things that also helps you if you get caught up in into the third party rather than the direct party so i think again the principles are kind of the same and and you may well get caught up in the litigation, even if you're not a party, and having to produce documents and possibly produce witnesses to be deposed to talk about the documents and talk about what you did on the project. Mm. So basically, I guess the rule of thumb is, is is just to you know make sure you're well organized. You know, if you have emails, you know, aggregate the emails of the team uh, in relevance to you know certain projects that you have, or if there's paperwork. Uh, make sure all the paperwork's in one place, or if there's electronic files, make sure that all the electronic files are in one place and not on somebody's hard drive or, or something like that. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the, the you know what you can do to try and organize those kinds of things so you can keep track of them. Um, it may be good practice both for business um, reasons, and it may be useful in a litigation context as far as 
limiting the places that you have to go search to to try and find the, the relevant documents. So I think you can probably be ahead in a number of categories if you've you've done the best that you can in looking at some of these issues and trying to come up with an approach to better organize materials. All right. Well, I think that's a, a lot of great, useful information, Chris, and I, I really appreciate you, you uh, uh, talking with us about it. Any, any last words that you have? I'll give you a, a couple of things um, that, that may be helpful or helpful to some listeners. Um, the real hardcore e-discovery information, there's a, an organization called the Sedona Conference, and we have a, a, several lawyers in this firm who are part of that conference they're really focused on uh, e-discovery issues and, and how to gather that information in litigation and what's reasonable and makes sense. And I think there's probably information available from that conference, papers, approaches, principles. So that's one source of information. From more of a, an ASHRAE practical perspective, and, and I don't know if they still have it available, but... Um, Several years ago, actually, it's probably about 10 years ago, um, at one of the national meetings, uh, a number of us put on a presentation. It was called The the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, um, where we kind of went through a mock uh, mold proliferation issue relating to HVAC equipment and kind of ran through a litigation scenario and how discovery might unfold and how a, a, a basic deposition might unfold, and then how that might come back to be used in trial. It was like a two-hour tape, and we had created a hypothetical situation um, working with engineers, so we tried to make it pretty realistic, um, and we, we came up with some what seem outlandish documents, but from some of the documents I've seen in real-world context, they maybe aren't that outlandish. Um, and, and that all got taped by ASHRAE. Um, and I know they had it for sale at, at some point in time uh, for members to purchase. Again, it was called The Good, Bad, and the Ugly. I do not know if they still have it available. But I do know that uh, I heard from a number of um, uh, firms that one of the things they, they did with new employees who just came on board is they had them watch that because it talked about um, the document creation issues and how you need to be careful and make sense. And they, they found that to be helpful. So for some who would like a little bit more information and um, kind of a hypothetical and how this plays out, uh, that had been taped and it may still be available for, from ASHRAE. Um, it's kind of one of their publications, so that may be available to, to assist folks. Okay. If it is, I will find it, and I will post it on the show notes for anybody to uh, to, to take a look at that. In um, addition to that, uh, all the Zodoma conference, um, I will uh, I'll make sure that that gets uh, uh, noted in the show notes. And um, I guess uh, I think uh, anything else, any other uh, avenues that people might want to uh, take a look at? I think that's all I've got. Okay, great. Well, you know, again, I appreciate you uh, coming on the 
coming on the uh, uh, you know the podcast and, and talking about these uh, kind of things. I think it, it's really critical for people to at least take a look at in their process and what they do uh, from a day to day basis, and 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 just to kind of understand because I guess regardless of what you do, whether or not you're a uh, you know a testing and balancing technician or uh, you're a engineer or a, a consultant. Uh, you know, doing indoor air quality. Um, all these things are relevant to you uh, as far as, uh, you know, the document management and the potential uh, for uh, those type of uh, things to occur. Right. All right. Well, okay. I appreci- appreciate it, Chris, and uh, thanks again. Thanks, Matt. All right, and we're back. Uh, well, uh, you know, thanks again to Chris McDonald uh, to, uh, to you know for his information uh, about you know document management and uh, discovery. You know, I mean, a little, little times you know it, get, it is a little bit ambiguous talking about you know documents, you know, in that that ambiguous sense. But I think you know really you know some of the some of the takeaways from this uh, conversation. Um, you know, really, really quality stuff as far as, you know, what to do, when to do it, um, and just to kind of give you a feel for, for what happens. Um, not only that, but, uh, you know, the staple example, uh, you know, that was probably, you know, well worth uh, listening to the entire episode for. Uh, because if you really take that to heart and understand exactly, you know, how you communicate and, and what you should be focusing on, um, you know, never just, you know, I always, always, you know, if I'm going to write an email and it's going to be going to, you know, a client or somebody, um, you know, that's not just a, a close friend that doesn't really matter. But if it's a business email, I'm going to write it and I'm going to read it again. You know, and invariably, I'm not only, you know, is it going to catch typos and things like that, or you might change the wording of how you say things. But, you know, if, if you say something that, you know, maybe you're not 100% sure of, or, you know, that, that you'd rather not say, you can always strike that out from, uh, you know, the information and, 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 and never send it. So that's, that's always, a, you know, a good tip to, to be able to read over what you're, what you're doing and, uh, to, uh, you know, before you send it out there uh, for everybody to see. So I want to uh, thank you for listening. All the loyal, loyal listeners have been listening to this podcast. I appreciate each and every one of you, and I think that you're making yourselves better each and every day. So you're already the cream of the crop, and now you're making yourself even better. So that makes me especially proud of you. Um, Thanks for listening. Again, if you want to give me any show suggestions, if this kind of triggered something in your mind, feel free to give me an email, a shout-out at uh, matt at buildingx.co, or uh, just drop me a line on the website, matt at uh, buildingx.co. If you want to sign up for the newsletter, that's something that I produce. Uh, typically, it's going to be monthly. I've uh, missed a few months on occasion. But uh, just to kind of catch you up, if you don't want to go to the website every day or every other week um, and you're not on iTunes, uh, feel free to you know just uh, sign up for the newsletter at, build, or, uh, at buildingx.co. If you are inclined uh, in iTunes to, uh, to write a review, I'd appreciate, uh, and I'll even give you a shout-out, as an extra bonus, but uh, those are always great to have and uh, especially encouraging. So uh, without further ado, I think we're, uh, we're done. We'll wrap it up, and we'll send you back to work. So remember, always know what you build and share what you know.